Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Today I'm talking about a hike that I did through the Mackenzie River Trail area. It's a really interesting trail system, and uh, I really suggest that people go try to uh, check out some of those natural areas, especially if, uh, you know, if there's any fascinating areas that are in your nearby region, I think you should definitely check those out. You know, for a long time, I've lived in a, in a cr close proximity to the Mackenzie River and the Mackenzie River trail system, but I've not really been one to partake in some of the natural beauty that uh, that you can get out of going up to those trails, hiking around. Or I think there's biking trails, there's rafting you can do. There's all sorts of uh, natural outdoor activity that you can do that I hear is world-class. And until just recently, I hadn't really been up there to, to hike through it or check it out. And there's so many amazing, uh, amazing things up there. The, the way that that the river's just sort of built out is beautiful, especially this time of year in late May as the, the weather's getting quite a bit warmer. You can go through on a, a nice uh, sort of uh, light afternoon hike and see a couple waterfalls, see some really crystal clear blue water and, uh, and a lot of uh, beautiful green foliage in the area. So really beautiful spot, but, uh, but definitely a spot to check out, the Mackenzie River Trail area. You can see more of my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. And I uh, wanted to jump into a couple of the things I've been doing through the month of July and some of the outdoor camping and travel stuff I've been up to. Um, I was going to run down some of that in this uh, podcast today. I wanted to talk about a trip I did out toward eastern Oregon, uh, I think like last or what it was a week before last is when I was out in this area. And I was trying to, to get some good uh, observations in for Comet Neowise. I'm not sure if any of you guys got to check that out while it was uh, in its prime viewing section there. I think that was why we had uh, kind of like the new moon before it switched over to being a, a, a gibbous moon or a nearly full moon like it's been the last week or so. But I think, uh, what was it, around like the 15th through the 25th or so of July, there were some pretty good observations uh, to be made of, of Comet Neowise. And um, I guess after, after kind of reading about it a little bit, it's not considered a great comet like Hale-Bopp was, or uh, I think it was, was it Hayutaki in 1996? We haven't had a great comet in a long time. I remember seeing those when I was a kid, though, and that was pretty cool, uh, like uh, watching Hale-Bopp come through for, it seemed like three months or something, you know, that you were just kind of looking at that in the uh, in the, the low corners of the northwestern and western sky as it was kind of cruising across the, the skyline there. I remember that still from, from like third, fourth grade when it was coming through. And I also remember the year before that when, uh, when like straight up in the air, you, or, you know, like straight up in the sky at night for, it was only like a week or so. I was a kid, you know, but I remember for that week, you could see a real bright two-tailed comet that was going through. I think, I can't remember how to pronounce it. I think it's Hayutaki or I think it's some, it's some Japanese name. Uh, I'm pretty sure. But that was a really cool one. That that one I still remember really clearly. And I, you know, I was only like I don't know seven or something when that like uh, when when that comet came through. But I really appreciated getting to make some observations of that one when I was a kid. I missed Haley's comet though back in what eighty seven I think was the last one it uh, it came through. And I probably will be the the few years or that you know that decade or two of of age range that doesn't get to see Haley's comet in their lifetime. So I think. Uh, 
I think I was born in 88, of course. So uh, if I make it past 100, then maybe I'll see it. What is it? Maybe like 80-something years. So it's, it's probably not going to come back around until I think it's like the 2070s or 2080s that I'd have to make it to for uh, to see Haley's Comet again. It'd be fun, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see how, future, how the, you know, the future is at that time. Um, but it was really cool to get to see Comet Neo-wise. It was uh, just a little below what would be the the legs and feet of Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, or uh, like the Big Bear, as it would kind of be observed. But if you if you kind of look at the, the Dipper part that we're all mostly familiar with, uh, if you kind of consider... Ursa Major, the larger bear constellation that it's structured on, uh, if you kind of look down below the dipper is where I was able to make my observations of Comet Neowise. And, um, and over here in the, at the elevation area that I'm at in western Oregon, it's about 200 or 300 feet above sea level. And there's, there's kind of a constant problem with haze and with uh, light pollution in this area. And I think it has to do something with... Uh, uh, well, like, I mean, of course, you know, the amount of population that's around, and but also uh, it's, there's something about the air quality or about how the air kind of flows out around here that just doesn't ever seem to be as crisp or as dark as you can get up in the mountains. And uh, and really, yeah, it's just a, like a stunning difference when you're able to get out further uh, and, and make some uh, some more clear observations. It's just, you know, the, the level of magnitude of stars that you're able to reveal just in a dark night is so much more crisp and clear. Uh, it's it's just like a it's a total difference. So it was cool to uh, I, I think I first was able to spot just a little fuzzy bit uh, of a second magnitude uh, version of Comet Neowise while I was here in town. But I tried to make a special trip out toward eastern Oregon, out into the desert, just to do some camping stuff. But uh, what I wanted to do at the same time was make some good observations and, and also try and get some good photographs of Comet Neowise as it was coming through during its period uh, where you could you could make some some good sightings of it. But it was cool. So going out to eastern Oregon, as it got dark, a little past 1030 or so, as you look to the northwest, you could really see co the comet and its tail spread for a, a couple inches in the sky. And I was really surprised to notice how little of it you could really make out or see uh, when you're in an area of, of almost any light pollution. Once you're back in town or once you're in a lower elevation area with some light pollution and haze around, it was really difficult to make out in the same way that I could out in the desert or out in the mountains. And so I thought that was uh, pretty cool to get to get to see and, and uh, get to check out over there. But, uh, yeah, it was a blast getting to do some stuff uh, out in eastern Oregon. I went over to the John Day River area. And I was uh, checking out that area. There's a lot of public land out in that area, but there's also some, a lot of private land too. It's just kind of an interesting area how it's sort of broken up. And um, it was cool to get to go out, go out to though. I headed out to Madras and then I took off and headed over east of there until I ran into the John Day River. And then I was able to use uh, this map that I have to go through and find some of the open off or just the, the open roads that are, uh, you know, the smaller gravel roads that are set up to kind of traverse the back country out there. So I was able to find a few of those that were open and travel around on those for a while. And that was pretty cool. I was able to find some dispersed campsites and set up right along the John Day River, uh, which was really cool. It's a beautiful area out there. It's kind of interesting. The John Day River f flows through uh, this sort of, I guess it would be, I don't know, it's kind of like Canyonland, and it's also sort of these rolling grass hills that sort of make up the landscape of 
of northern northern and northeastern Oregon. And I think uh, yeah, as soon as you kind of get a little bit for a little, like a little bit north of Bend is when you get out of the Great Basin area. Uh, and you start to get into another kind of landscape that seems to stretch up uh, north of the Columbia River up into Washington. I've heard that some of it's uh, from like really old uh, deposits from the river systems and the waterways that were up there, and, and how well, like there's old 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 deposits, and then and then erosion that's happened from uh, those rivers running through the area for such a long time. But uh, but really cool to see kind of the rolling hills and then some of the carved out canyons that go through the John Day uh, River area up there. When I found the campsite I was at, I was pretty far away from everybody and I was, I was really uh, far away from any uh, substantial town. I think it was near, I don't know, I don't even know what it is. There wasn't anything there when I drove through it. There was a bridge and, and a couple little ranch houses, uh, you know, real ranches, right? Like a, a, just a little, t- a little, a little house, like a little two-bedroom house, and then a hundred acres of, of cattle <laughs> to deal with. So uh, it seems uh, it seems like another life out there. I wonder how they're dealing with, uh, you know, kind of the way of the world as things are this summer. But uh, it was cool, yeah, getting out there. Uh, went uh, to, or yeah, kind of set up my campsite and stuff, had my truck going, and that was all pretty easy going. But then I waited till dark after 10.30. Yeah, Comet Neowise was really visible up below the Big Dipper. That was pretty cool to get to see out there in Eastern Oregon. Really bright, really clear. You could almost make out the second tail. I had my binoculars with me, and I think there's some 10 by 42s, and those worked really well to view it, uh, to view the the comet. Um, looked really crisp through the through the binoculars, and yeah, really easy to spot most of the night. Even just to the naked eye, it was really easy to spot. It was just like, oh yeah, it's right there. There's the comet. It's just a a big wisp in the sky. Uh, so it was really cool to get to view it. What I did is I set up my tripod and I have my camera with me. And so I set it up with a really wide angle. And then I was trying to get some photographs of it as it was, as the comet was sort of uh, coming down to set uh, on the landscape of the hillside, you know, as the hours went on into the night. So I think I, I stayed out until maybe one or two in the morning when the Big Dipper was sort of uh, scooping down a little low onto the horizon. And then at that point, the the place where the comet was dipped below the horizon and then was uh, out of view for the rest of the evening and I think even into the morning. I think by that time when I was photographing it, it wasn't it wasn't visible any longer uh, up in the morning sky. I think they said that, you know at first in early July you could kind of view it around Capella if you were able to get out early enough, say three or four in the morning. But as it, as the direction as it was moving, it was kind of creeping up. Um, pretty quickly, you know, day over day over day, it would kind of move a good chunk through the sky. And in the direction that it was moving, it was moving to be more visible at the nighttime, which really offered uh, more hours of good observation time, which I thought was pretty cool uh, to wait until it was really dark enough in the northwest uh, view of the sky. Probably about 1030 onward is when you're finally able to make out uh, those kind of finer points of light in the sky in that region. Uh, so it was really cool. Set up the tripod, set up the camera, uh, set up some manual focus to uh, to get it kind of set sharp at night. You know, you can't you can't use autofocus when you're trying to make photographs of the, the night sky and the stars because it just kind of seeks back and forth. So you have to set it to manual focus and then uh, ring out your um, your focus ring to infinity and then just back a little bit. You'll notice this every time if you do it. It's really frustrating in the dark because you can't really always make it out in, a, in an easy way and, and edit your mistake 
uh, quickly. But if you go all the way to infinity and then take pictures there of the night sky, you're going to notice that those points of light that are the stars sort of end up a little fuzzy. And it's because all the way to infinity, for whatever reason, just isn't quite in focus at infinity. So you have to go all the way out to infinity and then back it off just a little bit. And that'll nearly ensure that most of that part of the image is in focus the whole way. And it's difficult, even, even if you do have uh, an f-stop that's a little bit more tightened out, say like an f4 or f6 or something, you're still going to get a lot of that, that out-of-focus softness if the focus ring isn't really dialed into the right spot. So I tried to work on that a little bit and, uh, yeah, dialed in my focus, was able to set it up with uh, a reasonable ISO to get some images of the night sky and, and pick up some of those finer points of light. And then I was able to, to take a series of photographs uh, in a few different locations out there in the John Day River Valley, uh, which I thought was really cool. It was, it was uh, pretty to be out there, and it was a nice night, really warm in the River Canyon, and uh, and really remote, too. Like I was mentioning, I think I was the only person out there for a few miles. I saw another another group coming in on a, they had like a little mid-size uh, SUV, and they were going fishing out at a bend in the river a couple miles up from where I was. And so I took my truck down a little further and, and camped out just on the side of the river. It was cool. Nice uh, green river up to the kind of high desert tan rim rock that uh, runs the area around there. Uh, so it was, a, it was a cool evening, cool campsite area. It was a cool spot to check out Comet Neo-wise too. So I tried to check it out uh, up up until, I don't know, what, yeah, one thirty in the morning when I couldn't see it anymore. And then uh, spent the night out there, out in the John Day River area. And then the next morning got up and tried to check out some of the the different roads and stuff that, that went around. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. I've been eBaying around a lot and I found um, like way back when I went to college, right, I had I had a I ended up getting a laptop, which was fine, and it was cool. It was like a Windows PC. But I remember when I was in college back in like 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011. It kind of changed over the course of those years. But uh, I remember when I first got there, I really wanted that 13-inch black MacBook. Oh, yeah, I guess it was just a MacBook. Yeah, you remember that one? They had like the white model and the black model MacBook for a while, these like 13-inch ones. And uh, I always thought they were really sweet. Like I think they kind of came out right as I was getting out of high school, and they were – um, a pretty solid machine back in the day for you know a lot of you know whatever it was for for college stuff but uh but times times have changed times have gone on and uh, I was on eBay and I saw one for like sixty bucks and I remember them being two thousand dollars right like the black one was kind of the souped up one that you had to pay more for and you know in apple ways it was always it was always a lot more and that was already hundreds of dollars more than probably what I was going to end up paying, um, you know, for, for any kind of laptop computer I'd get back in college. So I saw this thing pop up, uh, on, uh, on eBay and I was thinking, whoa, 60 bucks. I could swing 60 bucks to get 
you know, this laptop that I had wanted that, you know, in my memory, I kind of remember is two twenty two hundred dollars uh, So it seemed like a screaming deal, even though uh, really it's just time has elapsed. It's a decade later and this is obsolete antiquated computing equipment. But I bought this, uh, I bought this uh, MacBook body. It shipped out to me. It's a working laptop. It, it really is nice. I remember a lot of those black MacBooks, they had this, um, this design flower, this little clip at the top of the, the screen would fold over, you know, as you'd clamshell the, the laptop down to close it. And this little tab would sort of break the keyboard plastic that was below. Either this one was replaced or an older person had it and never really got into it like that. But uh, it's super clean. Like it doesn't have that little greasy, wet puddle look on the, on the, uh, the, the thumb what is that like the mouse pad piece uh and like none of that like wear and stuff on it so it's a super fresh computer but it was cool um and, but difficult it's a little project thing you know like uh, when i got it it was running i think it was running leopard which is the the mac operating system that it probably would have first shipped with back in like 2007 maybe is when it was around that was before they switched over from power pc to or I think as they were switching over, that was the last version that it was like cross-compatible between like the PowerPC and the Intel Macs. Is that right? And then they switched over to Snow Leopard. That was all Intel PC-based stuff. And so uh, this computer was capable of it. It was Intel-based. And, and uh, what I did is I, had a, I wiped it and then uh, set it up again with, uh, what is it, like Mac OS 10.7? Which I think it went from like 10.4 to 10.7. That was the like OS 10 Lion. This is the thing I was learning about the the Mac stuff is that they kind of they kind of obsolete themselves after so many versions, right? Like um, I think it can't run Mountain Lion, that's why I didn't end up installing it, and it can't run Mavericks, which is you know why I didn't end up installing it. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't realize that at first, but uh, but yeah, I guess it's set up so that it's it's supposed to go up to Lion and then stay there. And you know, really, in most ways, uh, like I have it with me today, it works it works fine with Lion on it, but. Um, but the other fun thing was, uh, you know, since it's kind of like a project computer to do some stuff, I really never worked with um, with Unix the way that I need to, or, well, really with Linux the way that I need to. And so I was trying to think, um, well, what if I do like a dual boot where I get everything working with uh, Mac OS X uh, Lion, and then I install some software to do a dual boot, and then I set up uh, a distribution of Linux Mint which is like a Linux distro. There's like uh, Ubuntu. That's a really big kind of consumer popular one. There's this other one, uh, Linux Mint, and I installed that with the program. Is the file manager, program manager, window manager? It's Cinnamon, right? I think that's, there's a few, there's a few different ones. There's like Debian, there's Cinnamon. Maybe, I'm all twisted. I think Debian's like a distro. I don't know anything about open source or Linux. It's way above me in most ways, really. But uh, but yeah, kind of for fun and, and to be uh, to be up to a fun little project. I, yeah, I installed uh, Linux Mint on this uh, old laptop, and it really screams through. It, you know, it runs a lot like Windows Seven or something like that. It seems like pretty comparable in that way, and it's, you know, it's all free and um, it's kind of cool. I was uh, I was messing around with the Unix terminal in Linux in Linux Mint, and uh, it's kind of interesting, like uh, seeing some of the differences between like the Unix terminal work that you can do in Linux versus like what you can do on the Mac and I was kind of noticing like the package installer system like it was called like apt-get where you can you can just type like apt-get and then like space like you know the name of of some program in the, in the command line terminal and it's like a package installer where it'll go out on the internet it'll find the package where it is on a git 
repository. I don't know. I don't know how any of this stuff works. And then it, it pulls that down and installs the package on your computer all within the command line, all from like typing a couple of things. But it was just kind of a fun uh, sort of like power user thing that I was trying to get into. I've also been trying to get into um, using Nano, which is uh, like it's it's a word processor built into Terminal. I know you guys are really excited about this one. A word processor built in the terminal? Say what, Billy? Uh, it's a word processor that was uh, built in the terminal way back, like uh, when Unix was a file manager operating system where you know you had like a big hard disk, you had to make a document, put it in a file, and then and then kind of search for or access that file later and you know, have it contain the records or contain the information. I think like Stephen King wrote a bunch of books in this word processor, you know, just on like a super old system. DOS computer, mainframe computer, something like that. Uh, whatever, you know, would have run Unix, a Unix operating system, just a command line screen back in the 80s or whatever it was when you had a personal computer finally. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's like a full screen app. It's got a black screen or, you know, black background. And it's just like the notes app basically, but you, you do everything on the keyboard and you kind of save files out. But I've been trying to do that as like a, a, a distraction removal system, you know? You kind of, you pop into, you pop into Unix you do some of your stuff on the keyboard, on the command line. There's no visuals or, like, stuff that's popping up or getting in your way. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of been an interesting way to do a little bit of work stuff. But uh, but I'm trying to, like, go through and I journal a little bit. Like, I write down, like, handwritten stuff. I write down a few things about, uh, like, a photo or, or something that I'm working on or, or one of these little ideas I'm trying to sort and draft. And um, I'll, like, write it out there a little bit. But then, like, while I'm at work, I'll um, I'll throw open, you know, the laptop I'll, and I'll, I'll pop into Nano. And then I'll like end up writing out the text document. Like I'll draft it a little bit on the paper and then I'll write it out. I'll type it up in nano and then I get the, the text document, you know, on the operating system and I can put that or throw it out to wherever I want to. It's probably silly and unnecessary, but it's been kind of a fun, uh, a fun way to make use of Unix for, uh, for something for a few days. So I don't know, kind of cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, messing around with some Unix, some Linux, some old MacBooks. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.